HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. It's a butter egg made from plants. Bring more customers in your doors with Just Egg. Start with a free sample at ju.st hrn. This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb Credit. Heritage Radio Network listeners can learn more about the power of community capital by visiting honeycombcredit.com hrn. This week on Meet and 3, we're celebrating the food culture of South Carolina with its chef ambassadors. I'm super excited that it's soft shell crab season. <laughs> Those little suckers are delicious. People think, oh, tomato is a tomato. No, there is a, a good tomato and a bad tomato. So when they come to, to Hampton or even, you know, even in South Carolina, you can really find a incredible ingredient. We started getting lettuce from Micro Leon Farms in Conway. He's it's a, a super sweet family that runs that little farm. Tune in to Meet and 3, available wherever you get your podcasts. So right now it's about 3.20. My appointment was at 3.10. So I'm just finishing out the last five minutes of the 15-minute waiting period that you have to do after you get the vaccine. I just got my second and final dose. Um, I didn't even get out of my car. They just ushered me through. I rolled down my window and the woman just gave it to me through the window. So I'm feeling good. I'm feeling excited. It's a really weird feeling. It feels like a life-changing moment, but at the same time, like nothing is going to be different tomorrow when I wake up. Oh, okay. She's ushering me through. Bye, thanks. Welcome to The Big Food Question, a podcast exploring the most urgent questions from a food industry in crisis. I'm Dylan Hoyer, a communications associate and audio producer for Heritage Radio Network. Today we're asking, what has the vaccine rollout been like for restaurant workers? This episode is going to start with one person's story and then zoom out to understand the big picture of what the vaccination process has looked like so far. Our story begins in Los Angeles and then moves to New York City. We'll hear from people with intimate experience navigating questions of safety, immunity, and personal choice among restaurant staff. Then we'll get the perspective of one chef 
who has filled out New York's vaccination application thousands of times. Finally, we'll talk to a New York City official who hopes the restaurant industry will lead the way to economic recovery. You just heard a recording in L.A., where Tosh Kimmel received the second dose of her vaccine. L.A., like New York and cities across the country, has struggled with the speed, efficiency, and equity of their vaccine rollout. We won't be focusing on L.A.'s policy landscape, though. Instead, we'll start there to gain personal insight into one restaurant's workplace. I know Tosh as an HRN intern, but she's also worked in an L.A. restaurant for most of the pandemic. So previously, I was just, I was working at a restaurant as a front of house worker. And then recently I got promoted to working as a market coordinator. So I go to the farmer's market and I pick up like the wholesale produce um, three times a week for the restaurant. She works at a fast casual concept with about 30 other employees. She was on the opening staff not long before Los Angeles shut down last March. I didn't go back to work immediately. I was really lucky that I had an opportunity to work for someone else remotely at the beginning of the pandemic. And then when that kind of dissolved, I, A, because I liked my job and didn't want to lose it, so I decided to go back. But it did feel like I had to go back for money. And at the beginning of the pandemic, I did really feel like I was like putting myself at risk while everybody else was able to shelter in place. Risk. Equity. This story centers around questions of fairness as much as it focuses on the logistics of the vaccine rollout. The vaccine matters now because of everything that's happened during the past 12 months. Those prioritized for doses in 2021 had to bear a heavier burden in 2020. I would say that my work handled it well as far as like having guidelines for the staff and and for our customers, like really separating us. So nobody enters the space. We like put the food outside and they take it. But um, I would say that my issues with working during the pandemic have not been with my job, but I've found that the patrons are just honestly awful they are so nitpicky and so like ready to complain about things and they're they're just not understanding of the how services changed during coronavirus i've had people argue with me on the phone about why i don't deserve a tip um during the pandemic I've had people like throw food back at me because they didn't get like a condiment that they wanted, like stuff like that. It's just really strange how that has shifted, how at the beginning there was like all of this talk about being really reverent towards, um, you know, essential workers and that kind of thing, but it just quickly kind of dissolved. For months, in lieu of immunity and sometimes in lieu of respectful diners, Tosh came to depend on her coworkers. It's so complicated because, in a way, 
capitalism kind of forces you to have faith in other people because that you have to go to work like most of us are not in a financial position to be like no i don't trust you and i don't want to go to work we are all leaning on each other in that way where it's like okay you look out for me and i'll look out for you um but that's not to say that like sometimes it can be stressful when you feel like someone's not taking it seriously and you do have to interact with them every day and then you know who are you to police them really but um for me i i feel like i've been really lucky in that i do trust my coworkers many of us have had to navigate the delicate waters of establishing boundaries during the pandemic tosh and her coworkers didn't directly implement rules or guidelines for one another but their close relationships enabled a sense of mutual respect. Yeah, I wasn't having these conversations with my coworkers like, look, I don't, like, I hope you're not doing X, Y, and Z because you need to be keeping me safe. You know, I think it was just how I felt about it, at least, and and the coworkers that I'm close with, like, my understanding was just, like, everybody took it seriously enough that we were not, like, going out and doing it um like reckless things so I think it was just that like camaraderie that we had between each other also like working in service a lot of your social life is with your coworkers. camaraderie however can be easier to come by when everybody is in the same boat it is a weird feeling when someone doesn't want to get vaccinated and you realize that there is just like a fundamental difference between you whether it be like political or like a social understanding like a lot of it really does have to do with what i perceive as conspiracy theories but what other people really can like perceive as being the truth vaccines have introduced a new interpersonal challenge as greater personal choice and heated political rhetoric entered the equation it definitely is a struggle sometimes because you want to like go to someone and be like this is science or like this is what i believe is right and i feel like it's my civic duty to like get vaccinated and not rely on other people to get vaccinated to protect me and i feel like you should be doing the same for me and like it's hard sometimes not to feel like it's like personal when it's like why why would you refuse to protect me um and protect yourself but for some people, there's just honestly so much fear around it, and there's a distrust there, and I understand that, especially coming from communities of color, like my dad, um, I'm half black, and my dad absolutely will not get the vaccine, because um, he just truly doesn't believe that the government would ever do anything positive for the black community, which, you know, I understand that, but it's definitely just like a hard conversation to have and to just accept that these people are, they just won't get the vaccine for whatever reason. It is not required to be vaccinated at the restaurant where Tosh works. But her managers have checked in with her periodically about the process and acted as facilitators to staff that have opted into the vaccine. I think I'm lucky in that my work was really on board with it. And so they even gave us the next day off after we got our vaccine and I was allowed to leave early. So like they were like, whatever time you need, honestly, to get this vaccine, do that. After getting Tasha's viewpoint on workplace politics, 
I wanted a managerial perspective to get a top-down view of how workplace communication is shaped. My name is Nick Anderer. I'm the chef and owner of Anton's in the West Village of New York City. We definitely thought about making the vaccine a requirement. Um, we obviously opted to not make it a requirement. We felt that it was in everyone's best interest that we allowed people to make their own personal decisions about their personal health. And we didn't feel comfortable uh, giving ultimatums. And it's, our approach was to dangle the carrot instead of the club, I'd say. Nick has a small staff of about 15. And while most of his staff is now vaccinated, some are choosing to hold out. He faces similar questions to those at Tasha's restaurant across the country. You know, we did have concerns that there would be people on our team that would be uh, uncomfortable if not 100% of the people got vaccinated. Uh, we have not heard back yet from any single person that that has been an issue. And if it does become an issue, then we're going to have to address that. And and who knows, it might, you know, somebody might come to me tomorrow and say, you know, Nick, I'm, I'm, I'm a little bit uncomfortable working here because, you know, we have two guys that are not vaccinated yet. And uh, I want to be working in a kitchen where it's 100% vaccinated. And we'll have to deal with that when that happens. But uh, we, I can tell you right now that we're not going to deal with it right now by, by making ultimatums or by um, firing anybody because they had made a decision not to. Norms around vaccine requirements at work, at school, and in social spaces like concerts, festivals, or on airplanes are still developing. When vaccines were introduced in December, the federal government's Equal Employment Opportunity Commission issued guidance that permits companies to require their employees get vaccinated. This guidance is not a simple green light, however. Employers who take this route must still handle the process delicately so as not to violate protections from the Americans with Disabilities Act. Companies also risk clashing with the strongly held beliefs and hesitancies of their employees. In February, employment lawyers identified the first publicly known case of an employee being fired for refusing to get vaccinated in New York City. Bonnie Jacobson was a server at Brooklyn's Red Hook Tavern. She was let go after she asked for more time to understand the vaccine's effect on fertility. Jacobson's employer later amended their vaccine requirement to clarify the possibility for an exemption. Nick has chosen to avoid this route entirely. Instead, in our interview, he emphasized the importance of communication with his staff, which has been essential to his operations since the start of the pandemic. It was only with 100% consent from the team that we could ever move forward with doing something even as simple as just takeout. So, you know, I think that, that we as a small restaurant had a little bit of an easier time than maybe some of the bigger companies did to make some of these decisions because that conversation can be had very quickly because if your staff is only 15 people, then, you know, it's, it's easy to, to have that communication be concise and, and, and meaningful in a matter of days rather than, you know, weeks of communication and back and forth emails. When the vaccine opened up for New York City restaurant workers on February 2nd, Nick breathed a sigh of relief. 
but he was careful not to assume that everyone shared his sense of eagerness. We wanted our team to get vaccinated as quickly as possible. And that can be a tricky message in and of itself, just because you never know, even if you work with somebody 24-7, you never really know exactly how they feel about things like vaccinations. We highly recommended to the team that they all get a vaccine. We had to have a unified message. We couldn't have different messages for some people and then stronger messages for others. We wanted to make sure it was the same. And again, this is where having a small restaurant really comes into play because people can then come back one-on-one and start having conversations with you, the owner, about exactly how they feel about it, uh, rather than sending out some sort of mass email and then having to wait and hear a message being trickled down through many different channels. So we knew pretty quickly who the people were that wanted vaccines, which was the, which was the majority of our staff, I would say, and then who the ones were that, that didn't. And then those became personal conversations. Communication inside and outside of the workplace, as well as time, have proven to be key ingredients in getting the team at Anton's vaccinated. We are about 90% there right now in terms of vaccination. And I think that the insecurities that our staff was feeling uh, for those that didn't want to get vaccines was, was uh, just that, the same kind of fear of the unknown. They wanted to see that, that other people were getting these vaccines, were not getting um, sick for extended periods of time. And sometimes there's just strength in numbers. Uh, if you live in a community where everybody's doing one thing, then generally speaking, you feel safer if you continue to do the same thing as your friends are doing. So it was a slow process at first, but we uh, had picked up steam, I'd say about uh, like three weeks into the vaccination process when like 50% of our staff was out there and they had their shots and they realized that, wow, that was quick. It was easy. It was was free. That's another concern that a lot of people were having was whether or not the vaccine would, you know, uh, um, trigger any any sort of... um, charges for them. Uh, A lot of our staff, unfortunately, doesn't have health insurance. Uh, We offer health insurance, but not everybody opts into it. To further dissuade concerns over cost, Nick offered to pay his employees for the time spent traveling to get vaccinated. This later became statewide policy, implemented by New York's Department of Labor. As another incentive in the early days of the rollout for restaurant workers, Nick offered to help his staff book appointments. We sent all the links that um, we had received from friends and colleagues. But as you know, if if you were going through the same process, it was really difficult. Like you had to spend sometimes hours in front of uh, either a computer or your phone screen, clicking refresh um, and and checking many different locations, oftentimes way far away from your your home to to get a vaccine. Uh, At first, I was offering personally to help book appointments for our staff members. So I was spending hours just in the corner, a quiet corner of our restaurant, trying to click refresh, refresh, refresh on so many different names. And it was it was was a lot of it takes a lot of time. That's where we made a connection with uh, Tracy and Tracy uh, took that load off of my shoulders at, at, at no expense. My name is Tracy Wilk. And I am a trained pastry chef, chef instructor, and I have worn many hats throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. I think she's gotten about 10 or 12 appointments for us, for for our our staff, mostly for our kitchen team, because I think that's what what was her focus, is that she had uh, this idea, and she was correct, that a lot of, especially the Spanish-speaking kitchen staff, 
would have a harder time trying to find these appointments, especially in the outer boroughs. And that, in fact, was the case at our restaurant. Tracy did not know Nick prior to this process, and she hasn't just helped a dozen people sign up for their vaccines. Tracy and her friend Kat Caps have signed up about 4,000 New Yorkers for vaccine appointments, the vast majority being restaurant workers and senior citizens. With all the page refreshes and the hurried typing, Tracy has developed a strong point of view about the logistics of the vaccine rollout across the city. Look around at who has been working the entire pandemic. They probably are struggling to find childcare if they have kids. How are they expected to be on their computer 10 hours a day to find a vaccine appointment? Like, that doesn't make any sense. Zooming out beyond a single person or restaurant, we'll look at what challenges the city and its restaurant workers have faced in expanding vaccine eligibility. Stay with us after the break. This episode is brought to you by Just Egg. You can't have plant-based breakfast without a plant-based egg. Just Egg is now the fastest-growing egg brand in the United States. Bring more plant-based customers into your doors with easy-to-use Just Egg. You can get started with a free sample. Just head to ju.st hrn. Made from plants, Just Egg is a better egg for you and for the planet. It's healthier, with no cholesterol, and less saturated fat. And it's more sustainable. Just Egg uses less water and generates fewer carbon emissions. Most importantly, it's delicious. For our listeners who operate a food service establishment, you can get a sample for free. Head to ju.st hrn. Just Egg makes a delicious plant-based addition to any menu. It's available as a liquid scramble, great for omelets, frittatas, stir-fries, and French toast. There's also frozen, pre-baked, folded version that's ideal for filling breakfast sandwiches or topping salads. Chef Jose Andres called Just Egg mind-blowing, and Bon Appetit says, so good I feel guilty eating it. Put the fastest-growing egg brand on your menu. Get a free sample of Just Egg for your restaurant at ju.st hrn. This episode is brought to you by Honeycomb Credit. Heritage Radio Network listeners can learn more about the power of community capital by visiting honeycombcredit.com hrn. We all know that food businesses like yours are the backbone of your community. You make your neighborhood a more delicious place to be, and your customers are hungry for more. Food businesses across the country are working with Honeycomb to open new locations, buy equipment, and grow. You too can unlock fair growth capital by allowing your community to invest directly into your business. A crowdfunded loan from Honeycomb deepens your customer relationships and gives them a whole new way to engage with your business. You'll also get access to thousands of local investors in the Honeycomb network who are passionate about seeing food businesses succeed. Honeycomb is the community bank of the 21st century. Fair rates, flexible terms, and no prepayment penalties. Honeycomb has proven to be an invaluable growth tool for all kinds of businesses, from James Beard-nominated restaurants and upstart food trucks 
to organic farms and award-winning breweries. Best of all, with Honeycomb, you're paying back your neighbors, not big banks. To learn more about how Honeycomb Credit can help grow your business while building vibrant, financially empowered neighborhoods, visit honeycombcredit.com HRN. Welcome back to the big food question. Before the break, we met Tracy Wilk, a pastry chef who has kept busy during the pandemic. I absolutely love helping people. I think it's actually what brought me to the kitchen um, is I just like to share things with people and feel part of a community. So in the beginning of the COVID-19 pandemic, I started essentially just baking for our healthcare heroes. And it just kind of blew up from there. I baked for nearly three months straight, received a lot of donations um, for ingredients, which was incredibly helpful to keep the project going. And I had people join me from really all over the country in baking for their neighbors and their healthcare heroes back at home. This nationwide effort was called Bake It Forward, and Tracy recently turned it into a cookbook. But baking isn't the only habit Tracy has been using as a force for good. For me, I am obsessed with my phone. It's one of my biggest habits. I'll be the first one to admit it, but at least now my phone is doing some good for others. After signing herself up for a vaccine, her mom was the first person Tracy helped register. My mom is incredibly tech savvy. I really have to give her more than kudos, but she is over 65 and does not have the patience to constantly refresh. And furthermore, even though she is really tech savvy, it's a little bit confusing, the vaccine appointments, because you see an appointment and then it's gone in less than a second. So I helped her and a few of her friends get signed up. And I actually realized, wow, if my mom, who is tech savvy, thank God she is totally with it. And I was like, how are people that are older than her not tech savvy? And furthermore, working in restaurants my whole career, people that don't speak English, that don't have access to computers, that have been working throughout this entire pandemic, what are they going to do? And I don't think it's necessarily a bad system. There's just not enough products for everyone. I don't think we're doing anything remarkable because the information is all out there. It's just the patience and the refreshing that we're trying to do. You have to basically be able to be on the internet with reason 24-7 to secure an appointment. So if you have kids or if you're on the line or if you're in service or whatever your life is, it, that's not possible. You know, you cannot be grilling someone's steak and refreshing your page. And then also not everyone has great internet at home. You know, internet is really expensive. She shared an anecdote to illustrate her point. A Brooklyn-based chef reached out to Tracy, asking her for help getting some employees signed up. And I emailed and I said, here you go. Like, I got, was able to get this this guy won for today. Can you please like make sure he gets this? And the chef let me know like, oh my God, thank you, but please cancel it. Um, the gentleman was unable to pay his cell phone bill and it's turned off. And I s- literally stopped what I was doing and it was such like an like, out of body experience because that's exactly why I wanted to spend my free time doing this. Um, I know exactly how much cooks make. It doesn't surprise me at all. I've worked with people that that's happened to. Um, And 
I was like, is there any way I know because I've done new hire paperwork as a chef? I was like, I know you have an emergency contact. Is there any way you can try to like get in touch with a family member? Because like, I, I just don't want him to lose his appointment. And like that shows that he really needs this help. I know it's not financial help. I don't have any financial help I can give him. But this shot is free and it could, it could actually save his life. And she was like, oh my God, you're right. She got in touch with him and he was crying out of gratitude that he got his shot. Tracy's outreach into the restaurant community has been grassroots. She's reached out to friends across the industry, used her own social media to raise awareness about the service, and she got a shout out from Eater New York. What happens is someone will either text or email. We have, um, I just have my regular phone number out there, which I'm sure one day I will regret, but for now it's been fine. Or they can email um, covidvaccinehelper at gmail.com. You can find all this information in our show notes. When I first talked to Tracy, it was the end of February. Vaccines have been available to restaurant workers just over 20 days. The rollout on February 2nd had been botched by a miscommunication between the city and state, causing confusion and preventing people from signing up between February 5th and 7th. Because New York State and New York City really operate on two different wavelengths. They need to get it together. Um, And Cuomo announced that restaurant workers were eligible, but that the city hadn't updated yet. And some sites had it, some sites didn't. A few days after that debacle, the city field vaccination site opened, offering to smooth out some of those early wrinkles. This new mega-vaccine site promised thousands of vaccines a day. It also guaranteed that half of appointments would be reserved for restaurant workers, food delivery workers, and taxi drivers. The site opened with only 200 doses a day, but within a week was slated to offer 24-7 service and administer 4,000 weekly doses. When I talked to Tracy on February 26th, she was underwhelmed, but holding out hope. To be honest, it's been pretty disappointing because the slots have been filled up really quickly. And I've heard of, this is on the vaccine rumor mill, if you would, um, of lines up to four hours, which again, I don't think these communities have four. I don't think anyone really has four hours to stand on a line. I do think, again, New York City is doing the best they can, but I haven't seen so far, City Field being a giant success for restaurant workers, but hopefully it will turn around soon. A lot has changed in the last month and a half. Supply has greatly increased and allowed New York to open vaccine appointments to all adults over the age of 16. When I caught up with Tracy in mid-April, I thought she may report having more luck registering residents for vaccines at City Field and across the five boroughs. But that's not exactly what I heard. Yes, I'm still definitely disappointed about the City Field rollout. Um, I have personally only sent, I believe, two people to City Field this entire time. The vaccine rollout and sign-up process, I don't think has changed much. Um, the only difference is that the eligibility has greatly expanded. I've been very concerned about the expansion of the rollout, that it will slow down the process for prioritized groups, but I'm also equally as hopeful as I am concerned. 
expanded eligibility for all adults holds exciting prospects, but raises new questions about equity. Many calls for just distribution have come from the Queensborough President's office. There was no borough hit harder by COVID-19 pandemic than Queens. Meet Deputy Queensborough President Rhonda Binda. City Field is located in Queens Flushing Meadows Corona Park. And in addition to serving restaurant workers and taxi drivers, its doses have been reserved for Queens residents. These populations certainly have overlap. In fact, more New York City restaurant workers live in Queens than any other borough. According to the office of the New York State Comptroller, one in 10 restaurant workers live in the Queens neighborhoods of Jackson Heights, Corona, and Elmhurst. These areas were also hit hardest by the pandemic. The City Field site offers direct aid, but is not a standalone solution. What we're seeing with the pandemic are the you know, systematic faults that had already existed in our healthcare system um, that impacted especially the um, immigrant communities and underserved communities, some communities of color. Nearly half of all restaurant workers are Hispanic, and more than 60% of New York City's restaurant workers are immigrants. Unfortunately, race and income have been the most impactful factors in who has survived the pandemic. In New York City, COVID-19 has been twice as deadly for Black and Latino residents than to white people. Yet Black and Latino residents have been vaccinated at the lowest rates, trailing behind the city's white residents by more than 15%. But we're looking to partner with the culturally competent um, locations that, you know, where people can trust that they go to normally, whether it's their religious institutions, their senior centers, their community service centers, the libraries. We also need to see more mobile sites that that are still, uh, you know, needed in these harder to reach places that are unfortunately also having, you know, somewhat of a spike in their positivity rate. Um, Places like Corona that are still high, Breezy Point, um, they're still above 10%. In addition to targeting specific neighborhoods, the city is working to increase walk-in appointments. People 50 and older can now walk in to vaccination sites without an appointment. I asked the deputy Queensboro president whether we can expect other previously prioritized groups to be granted access like this. I am beginning to see so, um, so much more um, supply coming in that I do believe that we will see um, more, uh, more walk-in availabilities for, for various groups. Um, I wouldn't be surprised because from what I understand, um, with the distribution of the vaccine to local pharmacies and and right in neighborhoods, those are also supposed to be walk-in. Ensuring our restaurant workers are safe sets our society at large up for greater success. Last month, the U.S. hospitality industry added more than 175,000 jobs, more than any other industry. It's still more than 2 million short of where it was before the pandemic, but it's helping our entire economy on the road to recovery. We in in Queens will continue to prioritize our small businesses, our restaurant workers, our restaurant owners. It's such a vital part of the economy, and we're so grateful for them. They provide so many jobs um, to to, to us here in Queens. 
About 65% of those workers are also immigrants. And we want to make sure that um, we can uh, get back to work. A, a year ago, last March, uh, we were at a 3% unemployment rate. The, our unemployment rate is hovering above 10%. Questions remain about what restaurant service will look like in the coming months, about when and how we will achieve herd immunity, and to what degree it will be safe to gather in large groups. The logistics of signing up for vaccines is one piece of the puzzle. My biggest advice if you're looking to book appointments is you need to be flexible. Ask your boss if you can leave work early. Your boss probably wants you to get the vaccine. Um, I know that you might not want to go to the Bronx if you live in Brooklyn or vice versa. You might need to travel a little bit longer. Double mask, wear a face shield, wash your hands. We get texts all the time. I can only go to Manhattan. Okay, I understand. I'll, I'll definitely, you know, keep that in mind. But we're probably going to be able to find you an appointment sooner if you're flexible. This process is far from perfect. It's why thousands of people have had to rely on Tracy in the first place. As we wait for continued government outreach and action, one thing that individuals can do is be compassionate. Nick Anderer, the owner and operator of Anton's Restaurant in Manhattan, knows this must include operators in the industry. Empathy is a big uh, word for me this past year. It's always been something that I've, I've tried to instill in myself and in my team. But this past year, if there were never a time to put yourself in somebody else's shoes, this is the time to do it. And it's, it's a tricky thing because uh, you're often taught at work to only concern yourself for HR and legal reasons with the things that are happening at work. But this is a time to consider also what's happening in people's homes um, if you're a boss. And Tosh Kimmel, who you heard from at the start of this story, asked that empathy extend beyond the industry to eaters everywhere. I just think if people could have compassion and be kind and be generous, like that would just go such a long way for service workers. And just like, honestly, just be thankful, like just say thank you and like realize that we really are putting ourselves at risk to serve you. It is really the least we can do. Thanks for listening. Don't forget to subscribe to The Big Food Question wherever you get your podcasts. Check back often as we address critical questions for eaters, operators, and workers across food topics and business sectors. If you have questions you'd like the show to answer, email us at question at heritageradionetwork.org. Special thanks for this episode to Tosh Kimmel, Nick Anderer, Tracy Wilk, and Deputy Queensboro President Rhonda Binda. The Big Food Question is produced by Katie Mosman-Wadler, Kat Johnson, Hannah Forden, Dylan Hoyer, Matt Patterson, and Luke Griffin. This episode's producer was me, Dylan Hoyer. Our theme song was composed by Breakmaster Cylinder. The Big Food Question is powered by Simplecast. The content of this series is provided for general information only and should not be considered professional advice. You should obtain professional or specialist advice before taking or refraining from any action on the basis of this content. This project is funded in part by a Humanities New York CARES grant with support from the National Endowment for the Humanities and the Federal CARES Act. 
This program is also supported in part by public funds from the New York City Department of Cultural Affairs in partnership with the City Council. The Big Food Question is a production of Heritage Radio Network, the world's pioneer food radio station. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org and follow us at heritage underscore radio.